0: The Show, hope you all had a wonderful Christmas. If you're joining us here for the first time, as I'm sure some people are, we're trying to grow the broadcast here as quickly as possible, and you don't know what this show is all about, I'll I'll walk you through it here quickly. Uh, This is a show, perhaps the only show, hosted by myself here, a registered lobbyist in Washington, D.C. Of course, I've been involved in politics now for about five years. Uh, originally came onto the scene after Trump started retweeting me when I was the only civilian, really, that he ever retweeted. Besides, I mean, I think once in a while, Ivanka, but I guess she technically worked for the White House. That's kind of what thrust me onto the scene unexpectedly. Uh, And I've been doing this show at first weekly on Censored.tv. It was called Man Up with Jacob Wohl. Now we do it here. It's called The Jacob Wohl Show. It's on YouTube Live at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. On Mondays and Thursdays, and then it goes out on podcast apps right after that. Uh, It's live to tape. We are supported by the audience. We don't take uh, commercial sponsors. I don't tell you to buy mattresses or underwear or uh, pillows or any other item. I don't offer endorsements of that kind. Never have. Supported by the audience, supported by all of you, and you have been so wonderful supporting it, especially through the holiday season. I've been uh, so grateful we don't have a ton of news to discuss today, but we do have a number of items that we're going to get into. I'm going to talk about the Omnibus Bill, give you my lobbying perspective on it. Of course, I've been, been involved to some degree in writing this bill and, and writing the report language of the bill. We're going to talk about what that is coming up here. Uh, but we begin with this report that's uh, come out in the last week. And this is a report that received really very little airtime. Uh, in the mainstream media. Very little airtime whatsoever uh, having to do with the Nord Stream Pipeline attack. So you will recall that the Nord Stream Pipeline was blown up. That was the claim. We only ever really got one photo that appeared to show some bubbles in some ocean someplace. That was the degree to which original evidence was offered to the public. I did not see seismographic or seismological information come out. We didn't see really any original evidence presented to the public besides this photo and, of course, the claims from various governments out there. Within about 24 hours of the attack taking place, officials in Germany, officials in the United States, both DOD, State Department, you name it, They came out and said that this was clearly the work of Vladimir Putin because he wanted to hobble energy supplies to Europe. That's what the officials came out and said all over the world. Now, there were people that rightly asked the question, well, how in the hell could this be in Putin's interests? This is his cash cow is selling gas to Europe. This is his whole uh, leverage here. And then there were the complications of, well, the pipeline had already been halved and then halved again and then halved a third time in terms of the amount of natural gas that was passing through it. Russia said that was because of annual maintenance. Most people thought they were just trying to freeze out the Germans and uh, bring about a settlement to the situation in Ukraine more quickly. So that's been the backdrop of this. I proposed one situation in which it could maybe make sense that Russia did this because they thought that the U.S. was going to do it. They had intelligence that the U.S. was going to do it. And so they did it first in an area that they could control to kind of take it off the table for the U.S. because then it would be bombed twice. It wouldn't make as much of an impact. It wouldn't make as much sense in the public eye. Of course, there was a video from February of Biden prior to the invasion saying that the United States would bring a stop to the Nord Stream 2 pipeline if Russia in fact, uh, did any invasion of Ukraine. And he made it clear that the U.S. had the capability to do that through one means or another. So all of that was the buildup to this and, and, and what happened. But now we have a report out from the Washington Post in the last week. Here's the title. No conclusive evidence Russia is behind Nord Stream attack. World leaders were quick to blame Moscow for explosions along the undersea natural gas pipelines, but some Western officials now doubt the Kremlin was responsible. So again, Nord Stream 2, to my knowledge, never exactly came online. Nord Stream 1 had been cut back. Again, they said so clearly that it was Russia. Now they are walking that back. The report says here, after explosions in late September, severely damaged undersea pipelines built to carry natural gas from Russia to Europe, World leaders quickly blamed Moscow for a brazen and dangerous act of sabotage. With winter approaching, it appeared the Kremlin intended on strangling the flow of energy to millions across the continent. An act of blackmail, some leaders said, designed to threaten countries into withdrawing their financial and military support for Ukraine. But now, after months of investigation, numerous officials privately say Russia may not be to blame, after all, for the attack on the Nord Stream pipelines. Quote, there is no evidence at this point that Russia was behind the sabotage, said one European official. So these are uh, European and American intelligence and diplomatic officials saying that there is no evidence that Russia is behind the attack. This is not merely a proclamation by the Washington Post saying that officials have not released confirmation of the attack. That is not what this is. This is the Washington Post citing the officials that would be privy to the information And citing remarks from those officials who, in almost every case here, it looks like they're just on deep background. They're basically anonymous. It's a senior U.S. State Department official, a senior European official, this, that, or the other. But they are saying they have seen none of the evidence, that there is no evidence that Russia was behind this attack. Now, that could be that the Russians were just so sneaky in doing this that they left no evidence. They also don't say there's no evidence that the U.S. didn't do it. That's not what these officials are saying. I don't want to make too much out of what people aren't saying. But they are not saying that there's no evidence as to who did this at all. They're just saying that there's no evidence Russia did it. So does that mean there's evidence that the United States did it? Does that mean there's evidence that rogue commodity traders who were looking to make a trade on European natural gas contracts did this. It's really hard to say at this point. It's very hard to say exactly who's behind this. We still have no more evidence than we had originally with just that photo of the ocean with bubbles coming up. That is still all we have as the public in terms of original intelligence on all of this. We have not heard leaks out of DOD. We have not heard leaks out of CIA NSA. It's important to remember a lot of people say when it comes to conspiracy theories, there's this concept that, oh, nobody's that good at keeping secrets. Come on. That many people can't plan something and keep it secret. What are you talking about? That can't happen. And with respect to most things, to, to, with respect to the wildest of conspiracy theories like chemtrails and, and wild things like this, that is a good Occam's Razor kind of deduction of what might be the case. However, when it comes to some kind of micro-covert action, some kind of small-scale military or intelligence operation that is taking place, the Department of Defense, the intelligence community, the executive branch in this country, and in some Western allies, They are very, very capable of keeping it a secret. They are very capable of keeping it a secret. Certainly they are capable of keeping it a secret from the media. Are they capable of keeping it a secret from near-peer intelligence agencies who may have moles, who may have electronic interception, electronic uh, signals intelligence? Well, Maybe not, but those near peers are not generally in a position where they're going to, if they learn some information that's highly secretive, blow that out to the public. Because if they blow it out to the public, then they reveal their sources and methods to the public. And of course, by virtue of that, to the rival intelligence service that they've just exploited. So make no mistake, whether it can be kept secret from near peer intelligence services or not, that's a different question. All of our agencies are highly compromised, and the only thing that keeps them afloat at all is extreme compartmentalization. They're all compromised. DOD's compromised, CIA's compromised. The way they look at that is you just got moles, and you try to suss them out as quickly as you can, and you try to make sure that, well, they wouldn't know that much anyway. They wouldn't know enough to be dangerous anyway. That's what you try and do. And by the time that anybody's at a high enough level, uh, you're not going to have a mole come through. They don't get promoted that high in the system. You can have a Jonathan Pollard, you can have an Ana Montez, and certainly these people can do damage. But uh, they don't become the head of DIA or the head of the Navy. That's not how that works, or the deputy head. It just doesn't work that way. But when it comes to keeping secrets from the public, make no mistake. The DOD. They are very capable of keeping secrets from the public. The CIA is very capable of keeping secrets from the public, as are all of these intelligence agencies. It is very rare that the public will ever learn about anything that the government wishes to keep secret. Most of the things the government wishes to keep secret, there doesn't even happen to be a great degree of public interest in those items. So if some person were to, let's say, start tweeting them on the internet, how many retweets would they get? If they were to start, let's say the agency itself, posted it on the internet by accident, how much interest would it even receive from the public? For most classified information, the answer is that it would receive very little because it may be classified, but a lot of things are classified for, you know, no reason, especially in the intelligence world, less so on the DOD side of things, more so in civilian intelligence. So that's important to remember. It could be very much the case that the U.S. did this, and that we will never, ever learn that the United States is behind this. Of course, Russia has blamed the United Kingdom for this attack that took place. I don't know in particular what capabilities the United Kingdom has when it comes to submersible, I guess you'd call them, you know, true drones, because they'd have to be autonomous. You can't really communicate with them via radio. I guess you could use a wire, uh, but not so much radio underwater. Or they could leave an antenna up above the water and you know that, go that way. But that would be kind of hit and miss. I suppose something like that could be the case. Uh, but it, it is an ever-deepening mystery who did blow these pipelines. Of course, we're getting into winter here. It's been, uh, of course, quite a cold snap across the United States. It's going to be interesting to see how Europe is able to cope with all of this. The U.S. stepping up major funding, though, to Ukraine in this omnibus bill. We're going to talk about that here. Uh, But before we get into the details of the bill, first, this line item from Laura Loomer. She writes uh, here talking about this omnibus bill. She says, so MTG used a, quote, public health emergency as an excuse to skip the vote on the $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill votes so that she could go on vacation to Costa Rica. Meanwhile, her constituents are about to get hit with a bad winter storm. MTG is not sick. She's just a liar. So uh, what Laura Loomer is talking about is that Marjorie Taylor Greene took off to Costa Rica on vacation and voted by proxy on this spending bill even though she had earlier introduced a bill that would ban voting by proxy. She had sponsored that as a bill, uh, I should say, to be more technically correct, to ban voting by proxy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene nonetheless uh, did this voting by proxy. Now, I will say this $1.7 trillion bill is a huge win for K Street lobbyists like me. Uh, lots of money in here for defense, lots of money in here for all kinds of spending items, The history of this is pretty simple, how we got to this place on spending. What took place is that in late December of 2019, so essentially three years ago, um, almost three years to the day, the main budget bill for 2020 was passed. And this main budget bill basically totaled at $1.4 trillion. That was passed in late 2019. It was the 2020 appropriations bill main budget. Uh, of course, there are other spending bills that are passed, but this is the main budget. And it was $1.4 trillion. Now, that was considered such a behemoth bill at the time. It was considered just unbelievably huge. The The agencies were saying, how are we even going to spend all this money? Well, then just a few months later, you get into January and then February, pandemic comes along. Of course, at first it's downplayed. And Congress and the federal agencies decide that they need a supplemental bill to deal with the pandemic. So what they do is they pass an $8 billion supplemental bill. Now, $8 billion by Washington standards these days is considered very small. And then, of course, we know that $8 billion supplemental bill, well, that wasn't enough. Next thing you know, the government is spending trillions of dollars. And that's on top of the stimulus that the Fed was doing. Call it you know. QE5 or QE4, I mean, it's hard to say, but lowering rates to zero, uh, opening up the Fed window to all kinds of institutions, buying corporate bonds, all of that. Something like $20 trillion in total stimulus by the time we got to the end of 2021 took place between uh, stimulus and reckless spending. I mean, companies like Boeing were bailed out. Lockheed Martin got a bailout. Delta Airlines got a bailout. Delta Airlines got... Billions in cash in exchange for nothing. They just got to keep the money. It's not like they got, you know, it's not like equity was taken from them or they had to pay it back. None of that. It was so much bigger than TARP. It was so much bigger than uh, the 2008 bailouts, the 2008 $729 billion stimulus package. It was much larger. So that's how we get to a place where people are even throwing out numbers like $1.7 trillion. If you would have told me in uh 2015, 16, 18, that we would be passing 1.7 trillion omnibus bills on top of the Defense Appropriations bill earlier in the year, on top of other spending bills that have gone on throughout the year, I would call you nuts, and I wouldn't be the only person to call you nuts. Most everyone in Washington would. But here we are. And this is the kind of spending that is taking place. Now, of course, this got the support of many Republican Senators. You've all seen the lists out there. Even the Republican senators who did not vote for this bill didn't make any real effort to filibuster the bill into the next Congress. Not at all. At that point, of course, Republicans could have chopped it down in the House, but they did not make that effort. Of course, every Republican House member from Florida voted against the bill. Uh, But the point is, a bill like this with this much momentum is going to be passed, and there's ways of doing it. For instance, these congressmen and senators who voted against this bill, well, the way that this is going to be played against them by the special interests, by their competitors, is that they voted against a pay raise for the troops. That was already being done through ads and through shadow campaigns to try to get them to vote yes. Because there was there, there was a, a pay raise for a number of troops in this bill. And so that's one thing they do. They throw in a tiny pay raise for the troops. And if you vote against the bill, they say, you voted against a pay raise for our troops. How could you do that? That's one of the things that they do in Washington. They say you voted against a pay raise for the troops. How could you do that? The other thing that this brings up here is just you think about what happened in the Senate races around the country. I mean, Republican senators have caved to Biden so far. They've caved on these sorts of spending bills. There's a sort of shadow agreement among Republicans and Democrats in Washington. Republicans say to Democrats, you give us all of our defense spending. Massive blowout defense spending beyond the pale defense spending, unbelievable defense spending that's going to, in in essence, impoverish our country and make the DOD run less efficiently. And we'll give you all of your social welfare spending. We'll give you all of your social welfare boosts. We'll give you all of your pet projects. That is the kind of devil's bargain that's taken place in Washington, D.C. among Republicans and Democrats. And it did not begin during the Biden presidency. It really began during the Trump presidency. Of course, there was some form of that previously, but you recall the sequester back in uh, circa 2011, 2012, 2013, spending cuts for each new spending program you introduced, you had to remove an equal amount from some other part of a bill. Remember that? Well, today we only have the debt ceiling. And the debt ceiling hasn't helped the country. It's hurt the country. The debt ceiling is nothing but a gimmick that they raised at the last minute anyway. But what the debt ceiling does serve to do is that it has made it the case that the Treasury should have been doing borrowing over the last several months to fund this bill and other bills that already exist. But they couldn't because the debt ceiling hadn't yet been raised. So they have to wait. Now they're going to have to go out and borrow. They're going to have to borrow, presumably. We'll see how it plays out over the next several months in the interest rate market, but perhaps at a higher rate than they would have borrowed at anyway. You have to remember with interest rates now up, all of these bills are more expensive. You know, doing doing a one point seven trillion dollar spending bill when interest rates are zero is a much different endeavor than doing a one point seven trillion dollar spending bill with, you know, let's say the 10-year rate at, I just want to be precise here, uh, what's the what's 10-year the at today, 10-year uh, interest rate? Let's see here. 3.75. You know, d- doing a spending bill like this with, with a 10-year rate effectively at 4 is a hell of a lot more expensive. And remember, that's 4% per annum. Assuming you're just doing 10-year debt. Of course, the the yield curve also has a a massive inversion. So it's not all going to be 10-year debt. Some of it's going to be shorter term. Um, The the two-year interest rate, of course, is even higher than the 10-year interest rate, 4.24%. We have an inverted yield curve. Uh, So that is something to remember here. All of this is much more expensive. They've approved another $45 or so for Ukraine. Honestly, the the cost of the whole Ukraine campaign has not been that high. A lot of reasons to oppose U.S. involvement in Ukraine, most of them revolving around the fact that it weakens our geopolitical position. It risks nuclear war. There's always some risk of that when you get into a shooting war with Russia. U.S. troops are on the ground in Ukraine. Yes, they are. We've talked about that, talked about it as recently as the last episode. So Republicans have had a simple job, you know, manage spending and don't approve Biden's radical judges. But Republicans have given Biden a nice margin on all of his radical judges, including his most recent pick, uh, Ketanji Brown Jackson for the Supreme Court, an extremely radical judge who had given sentencing far beneath the guidelines, far beneath even what defense lawyers had asked for for pedophiles. They approved her with a nice margin. So this entire enterprise is totally out of control. And when you have Republicans that do that, you wonder, I mean, what would inspire you? What would lead you to vote for these people? What difference would it make if you had a few more of them in the Senate? They'd still be approving these crazy budgets. They would still be allowing Biden's radical justices to get through as long as they were either black or gay or some mix of diversity. And remember, that's just the Supreme Court. There were all kinds of other radical justices approved. They've approved his radical U.S. attorney picks around the country who have gone out and persecuted Trump supporters for, in many cases, no reason at all. Sometimes they've done a decent job. Actually, a few of them have been decent, but uh, terrible overall. Terrible. So what exactly would animate Republicans to go out and vote for more of these people? You have to ask, when they are this abysmal in their performance, what would make you want to vote for them and put more of them in? And it's like, well, the Democrats are worse. Uh, okay. Yeah. But that's really it. I mean, there's there's very little to vote for when you talk about the Republican Party, and that's a problem. So we talked about how we ended up in this place where we had this hodgepodge of spending bills. Uh, another note I should throw in here is that a lot of the money appropriated for these various pet programs you see, like you know, studying salmon in the Pacific and things like this, this is oftentimes money— that was previously appropriated, but never ended up being spent. So so that's another thing to understand. Not all of this money is going to be newly spent or newly borrowed money. A lot of it is money that the government has not even gotten around to spending from other programs, mostly because the budgets are just too damn large. You don't have enough people uh, to do all of this. Now, Republicans, of course, earlier approved this massive increase in spending on IRS special agents, Apparently, hiring some seventy thousand, IRS can't even get their hands on that many certified public accountants and auditors and all of that. Anyway, it's 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 ridiculous. But all of this coming together here, we're gonna have more on this bill. Uh, finally, one of the things I'll tell you is that the way that lobbyists work over a bill like this in terms of earmarks for our clients is that oftentimes you won't even put uh, things in the actual language of the bill, you'll put it in what's called the report language. The report language is like a sort of instruction manual that comes along with a spending bill. So when you see a line item that says spend $10 million on the arts in Florida, what does that mean exactly? On paintings, on murals, on museums? Well, the report language says that in more particular detail, what that means. And that's where you put in for this exact museum or for that exact exhibit or what have you. So the report language of the bill, which is not ever really looked at by the public, is where the lobbyists really do uh, the dirty work for the most part. Uh, is another thing to keep in mind. I don't want to keep you guys long today. It's it's a short show, but there's only a few items to talk about. I like to be consistent. I know it's a lot of you are still out of town for the holidays and all of that. So it's been great to have you. And uh, I'm going to be back Thursday, 2 p.m., live here on YouTube. Podcast apps everywhere shortly thereafter. Just a very brief episode today.